This past weekend, right, as many of you know, um, some of you participated um, in the IF gathering, right? It's a, a group of women who gathered together, um, a group of believers who gathered together and practiced uh, many of these things that you find here in Acts 2, 42 through 47, right? They devoted themselves to understanding, right, the teachings of Scripture. They devoted themselves to worshiping together. Uh, they broke bread, right, together. They fellowshiped together. Um, in Acts 2, 42 through 47, it says the byproduct of uh, being in the Spirit and doing these things together, the byproduct is that the church was in awe. You were in awe of what you saw God doing around you, all right? And so if at any point over the weekend, if gathering, if the Lord left you in awe, right, say amen. Okay, amen. Right, this is not fantasy. It's not fantasy, it's real. All right, it's simple, but yet it's profound. If we will live in such a way with one another and pursue such things together, be devoted to such things together, right? Awe. And awe is not a dopamine. Awe is not a dopamine. We live our lives chasing dopamine, right? We scroll looking for dopamine. We post images on so looking for do- we, we, We're looking for dopamine. Awe is not dopamine. It is truly, truly satisfying. It truly, truly moves us, changes us. It's not fancy, it's real. Go with me to 1 Samuel. Let's continue to look um, at 1 Samuel together. If you weren't with us last week, we started a walk through the book of 1 Samuel. Um, and so let me kept you up to speed uh, before we pick up on where we left off. Um, there was a husband named Elkanah, and Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. All right, Hannah was barren. All right, she couldn't have children. Penina had many children. And so Penina used to make fun of Hannah every year when they went up to the temple to sacrifice to the Lord. They would all go up there together, Elkanah, Hannah, Penina, Penina's children, and the whole way there, right, Penina would poke at Hannah, you can't have children, you know, I'm the solution, you're the problem, Elkanah took me because you couldn't give him what he wanted, what he needed. All right, and so she was irritated. She was frustrated. The Bible says that she had this great anxiety, this great vexation. All right, because of uh, her desire going unmet, her desire to have a child, and the irritation, right, of Panina always poking at her, right? Frustrating her. Right, and so she's at the temple worshiping, right? She's pouring out her soul before the Lord, right? The Lord grants her petition, right? Or the Lord grants her request, right? They come home. Elkanah and her um, are physical. She has a child. She conceives a child. She names the child Samuel. Samuel means the Lord heard me. He heard me. He has given me this child. And so then uh, the beginning of chapter 2 is Hannah's response, all right, to the Lord giving her Samuel, all right? Um, And this response, as we looked at last week, um, she's standing over Penina in victory. It's a symbol of, right, two bulls going at it, fighting with one another, Right, and this song, this response is about Hannah's horn being exalted. 
All right, she's been victorious. And it's not solely because God has given Hannah a child, but it's more so to do with God has made company with Hannah. All right, he's come to visit and make company with Hannah. All right, and it has more to do with, you know, Hannah recognizing, hey, uh, 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 this isn't my inheritance. I mean, she's really getting at Panina here. She's going, because your children are your inheritance, right, you will be lonely. You will be abandoned. But she understands that her child, Samuel, and the children to come, right, are gifts from God. But they're not her inheritance. And so she's not lonely. She's not abandoned. All right, and we pick up. All right, from there, verse 12 of 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men that did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling, boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh. And so all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petitions she asked of the Lord. So, when they re, uh, so then they returned to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is, not, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded from my dwelling? And honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. 
Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house. And you shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. So if you remember from last week, Eli is the priest, right, in Shiloh. So as Hannah and Elkanah and Penina would go up to sacrifice, Eli is the priest. Eli is the one that said, hey, go in peace. May the Lord grant your petition to give you a child, right? And so she leaves, right? But Eli's got two sons, all right, Hophnius and Phinehas here, all right, that are priests at the temple as well. Okay, um, in verse 12, let's just break some of this down, right, and go, what's this got to do with us? Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. What would you say, right, if somebody came up to you and said, hey, what does it mean to know the Lord? You know, how would you respond? Because it says here, right, that Eli's got two sons and they're worthless, even though they're ministering, right, in this priestly role at the temple, they're worthless for they do not know the Lord. You know, what does it mean to know the Lord? What does it mean for me to know my wife? What does it mean for you to know your spouse? What does it mean for you to know your children? You know, I remember growing up, you know, I got to the point of being a teenager, right? And my dad displayed his knowledge of us as kids by writing for us a blessing. And those blessings were not, right, cut and copy and paste. Those blessings were specific, right, to who we were, specific to our personalities, to our character, to our dispositions, to our passions, right? Some would say, for he knew us. Therefore, he was able to write these blessings over us, right? I can say I know my spouse because I can know or understand, like, I know where she's coming from. I know what the motives are, right? Or I know what the reasoning is behind, right, this behavior or this act, right, or this comment, right? Because you know somebody, you know their tendencies, you know their context. You know their immediate situation. What does it mean to know the Lord? For these two did not know the Lord. Well, they spent a whole heck of a lot of time in the temple. They spent a lot of time, right, in the church. 
They did a lot of things for the Lord. They did a lot of things for other people. And yet they never knew the Lord. It reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew, right? The Sermon on the Mount. You're going to come to me, I did this, I did this, I did this. And Jesus is going to look at you, I never knew you. I never knew you because you, 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 you don't know me. To know the Lord means that you know his character. You know what he's like. You know what he stands for. You know what he's about. Furthermore, Jesus says in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. To know him is to know his voice. He goes, furthermore, another voice they won't listen to. Another voice they won't follow. What does it mean to know him? I'm able to distinguish between the good shepherd's voice, God's voice, and other voices. That's a testimony that I know him. They did not. They did a lot of things for him. They did not know him. Part of the reason why we're practicing these spiritual disciplines, right, is for us to learn to know his voice so that we would know his will for us and therefore his character. It was the custom of the priests with the people that when they would come in and sacrifice Right, the priests would take a fork and whatever they drew out, they would keep for themselves and that's how they fed themselves as a priest. That's what they lived off of. Right, because if you go back to Exodus, right, you look at Exodus, you look at the book of Deuteronomy, right, as God brings them out of Egypt, out of slavery, he has these 12 tribes and he gives these tribes different lands, different inheritance for them to now go in and dwell. All right, but he, 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 he tells Aaron, right, uh, the, 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 the Levites, hey, you don't get land. I'm not giving you an inheritance like I'm giving the rest of the tribes of Israel. I'm taking you for myself. Instead of taking all the firstborns of Israel, I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you and you're going to be Right, mine. I'm going to be your inheritance. And I'm going to take care of you. You don't have land, so you can't provide for yourselves. You can't feed yourselves. But don't worry, I've taken you as my possession. And I'm going to feed you. And I'm going to be your provision. And so as people would come to the temple to sacrifice, right? right the Lord says, right, I'll share my offerings with you. I will take care of you. Well, you see uh, uh, some of the worthlessness of these two sons, for they would uh, uh, gorge themselves. It wasn't, hey, I'm taking what the Lord has given to me. As I serve him, as I serve you, as the priest, I'm taking what the Lord, no, 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 they, they indulged I love what the last verse says here in that section, verse 17. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Beneath. 
consideration. Contempt, beneath consideration. The two sons did not consider the Lord. The Lord was beneath consideration. The two sons did not consider those bringing the sacrifice. They were beneath consideration. They didn't think about the consequences of doing something unholy. You go read, right, Leviticus, right, and what they were doing in profaning the sacrifices of the people of Israel, they didn't consider the consequences. The consequences were beneath consideration. They treated it with contempt. They were not as worthy as indulging themselves. That's applicable for all of us. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and he asks us to walk a certain way. He asks us to walk a certain way in following him. There's a certain way that leads to righteousness, peace, fulfillment, and life ever after. There's a way. And a lot of times we treat the way beneath consideration. Because self-indulgence is more satisfying in the moment. So we don't consider the way we just self-indulge. We don't stop for a second and think, what would the way do? The book of Acts, you see that the people that follow Jesus are people that belong to the way. Do we stop and consider, if we are people of the way, what, what would we do? What would God have us do? Or is the way beneath consideration? Is the way beneath consideration in your finances? Is the way beneath consideration in your marriage, your dating life? It was for these two sons. The way that God had laid out for them to act and behave and minister to the people and to protect the purity of the temple was beneath consideration. In the next section, verse 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, right? And a, a, a linen ephod was something back in Exodus, right, that was designated for the priest to wear, right? If you go read back in, uh, back in Exodus, it was both beautiful, it represented the beauty of God and also the glory of God, and so these extravagant ephods were made that were like, are like robes that go over the clothing. It's a representation of the beauty and the glory of God. And the temple was a representation of the beauty and the glory of God. And what I love about this is that you have this young boy, Samuel, who Hannah devoted, lended to the Lord, to minister to the Lord and minister to Israel after she had so longed after she had so long for a child, she weaned the child to a few years old and then left the child in Shiloh. I, and I don't think we can wrap, I, I don't think we're wrapping our mind completely, you know, around that. 
But she leaves the child because she said, I lended Samuel to you for this cause, for this purpose. And then what does she do every year? While, while he's up in the temple ministering to the Lord, every year she makes him a new ephod. Parents, listen to me for a second. You need to actively partake in the purpose and the calling of your children. Hannah is actively participating in the purpose and the calling of her children. Yes, she does the unthinkable and leaves her child in the temple to minister to the Lord. But she actively participates in what she said she was going to do. She's actively participating in what the Lord wants to do in Samuel's life. And so every year she makes him a new ephod and she brings it up. See, it's not like she was sitting at home, like begrudgingly, like cursing God. God, you gave me this child, but oh, I wish I wouldn't have made that vow. Only if I could watch my child grow up. Only if I could teach my child to read. Only if I could tell my child bed, bedtime stories. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have made the No, she actively participated in the Lord's will for Samuel's life. So she would go up every year and give Samuel the ephod, and then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife. May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she had asked of the Lord, so then they would return home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. The Lord gave her more children. Her horn is exalted in the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. When it comes to your sex life, is the way beneath consideration. Right? Students in a room, teenagers in a room, what you do with your bodies what the Lord asks of you, is that beneath consideration to you? Have you stopped to consider the way? Have you stopped to consider the consequences of your self-indulgence? Because the consequences are real. And God's grace and mercy, right? I, I praise God for his grace and mercy, because I'd never stopped to consider the way growing up. I knew what the Bible said, right? Son of a pastor. I knew what it said. I knew what was holy and what wasn't. Did I stop and consider that? No. Did I care? No. It was beneath consideration. For self-indulgence is what drove me. 
I'm going to tell you, the consequences are real. God could have struck me down, like we're going to see him do with Phineas and Hophnius. He, You know, his grace and mercy, I praise. But there were still consequences. There's still things. And, I, and teenagers, students here, I'm still talking to you. There's still consequences today for me in those decisions. Do we stop to consider his way? And that his way is better. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that at 15, 16, 17, that his way is better because self-indulgence sounds like the only way. Because we haven't learned to yet really deny ourselves, and so self-indulgence sounds like the only way. His way is it's better. It's better. And I can't convince you of that, but I pray the Holy Spirit would. It's better. But Eli tells his sons, hey, this report is not good. It's not good. It's an impeachable offense for the priest. (laughs) And he goes, I can't stand in between you and the Lord. I'm not going to be able to stand in between you and the Lord. Remember when I was 16, I I remember my dad saying that to me very vividly. It just sounded different. He said, Zach, I don't have any more rules for you. I don't have any more expectations for you. Just understand what you get yourself into. You're going to have to get yourself out of. Basically, he was saying, the Lord's going to deal with you. I can't, I can't stand in between and mediate between you and the Lord. The Lord's going to have to deal with you. And his name isn't much to play with. As we see here in the next section. Verse 27, there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, did I indeed, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to you the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why did you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people, Israel? Translation, I saved you. I saved you. I brought you out of the hands of Pharaoh. And I set you up in the promised land to rule everybody else. To find yourself in a circumstance where everybody else looked at you and was envious of your prosperity. I brought you out of slavery and set you up to rule everybody else. God says, and furthermore, I chose you specifically, Levites, 
to minister to the people of Israel. To stay in my temple, to live off my provisions. You don't have to go work the ground. You're going to live off my provisions. I, and then you're going to treat that. You're going to scorn that loving kindness. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever, but now, declares the Lord, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Because you honored your sons above me. You ought to underline that one. Yeah, he, God's, going, God's going to deal with the two sons. And Eli knows that. He goes, I can't stand in between. But God's also dealing with Eli here. Because you honored your son's self-indulgence above me. Now I will deal with you. As parents. This is where we go back to. This is where we go back to chapter 2 in Hannah's song. Those who where full have hired themselves out for bread, verse five. But those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn or lonely, abandoned. Hannah tells Phineas, because your inheritance is your children, because you honor your children above the Lord, Loneliness, abandonment is what awaits you. That is a sobering reality as a parent for us. Because it is uh, oftentimes way too easy for us to honor our children above honoring the Lord. In a lot of situations, uh, considering the Lord's way is beneath us when dealing with our children. Whether because we want to be best friends, we don't want our kids to be mad at us, or our children are our own coping mechanisms. We got a lot of things outside of our control, whether that be in our marriage or whether that be in the workplace, right? And so we wrap our arms around our children and we bring them in really close and they become our coping mechanism and so we honor them above the Lord. Whatever the case may be. I 
We've got to stop and consider. For it will not go well for us as parents, nor will it go well for our children. We believe the lie. We've been deceived for a long time. Right, that feeding our children, whatever they desire, whatever the world says we have to feed our children or give to our children, right, or whatever parent philosophy, whatever books are out there, right, we've, we, we bit into that apple and been deceived and we placed, right, self-indulging our children above honoring the Lord because we've got to be friends with them or we don't want them to suffer or they've been through enough already, you know, or... Let's just, let's, let's just stop and consider this question instead. What would honor the Lord? In this situation, in this circumstance, how would I honor the Lord? Take your kids out of the equation. It's not about what your kids want. It's what would honor the Lord. It's not what about uh, what I think the kids need. There's many situations this week in our house where I'm acting out of, this is what this child needs. This is what this child needs. Did I stop and consider what would honor the Lord? No. That was beneath consideration. There was a lack of discipline. There's a lack of self-control, right, in my life. Because when you start acting out of impulse before you ever, right, even stop to consider the question, what would honor the Lord, there's a lack of self-control. There's a lack of discipline. I just go straight, this is what the child needs. So this is what they're going to get. How do I know that? But because he honored his children before the Lord, right, the legacy, the inheritance of his family was cut down. It will become no more. God says, I'm going to raise up a faithful priest. I'm going to raise up somebody who will faithfully serve my people and serve me. I'm going to raise up somebody who will not take advantage of my people, who will not treat me with contempt, who will stop and consider my way who will say, Lord, your will be done, not mine, right? Talking about Jesus. You know, I looked at 1 Samuel 2, and this was for me, you know, this week. There's a lot of, there's a lot of lessons in here on what does it look like to be faithful in my role. You look at Eli's sons, and you go, uh, condemned for self-indulgence, right? Condemned for feeding themselves instead of trusting the provision of God. Feeding themselves instead of seeking to feed other people, right? That's what Jesus told John. You love me? Yeah. You sure? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Yeah, Jesus, I love you. Feed my sheep then. Lay your life down then. Trust my provision for you. You just feed, you just feed the sheep. And you ought to call a church a home that has that type of leadership. 
That ought to be home. A leadership that's looking to feed the sheep. Not self-indulgence. Not concerned about feeding themselves. But people truly in the position to serve others. For I did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. And that ought to be what is said about this leadership. That's what we have to strive towards. And that's what you ought to call this leadership too. Every trustee sitting in here, you ought to call us to it. For the consequences of these priests not performing their duties, not looking after the sheep, are devastating. And God makes it very clear. You are acting as a mediator between me and Israel. And if you profane your role or you allow the nation, right, to profane their responsibilities or neglect their responsibilities, curses will fall on the nation of Israel. And wolves will come in and destroy this place. And you will be ransacked. And you will become slaves again. And so when we as a leadership, right, don't focus on feeding you, when you don't hold us accountable, right, to what we're supposed to do in our role, right, the consequences are, are, are serious. Wolves will come in this place and ransack this place. And lies will be spread. We'll start, we'll start to believe things that aren't true. We'll be tossed to and fro. Sin will run rampant. It'll spread like gangrene. And eventually this thing will fall to the ground. Or we'll have a cult. One of the two. I don't know what was for you this morning, all right, but I'm going to give you a few minutes to just kind of sit. Uh, in the book of Psalms, you hear this phrase often called Selah, right? After a paragraph, you'll see that word off to the right, Selah. This is, let's stop. Let's just stop. Let's be still. Let's let, let's let that sink in. All right, so what I'm going to ask of you is just to take two minutes here to stop. I just want you to sit. Maybe you look back over the passage or maybe you just shut your eyes, all right? You just let the Lord minister to you. You let the Lord speak to you, all right? After we do that, all right, video announcements um, will be played and we'll worship together.